And good morning here on the Fuzzy Logic Science Show here to Double X FM. Now, the thing that vexes us all at the moment is the plague, of course. And there is a plague, not the virus, that is even more worrying, perhaps, and that is climate change. Every day it seems we're getting more bad news. It could be melting of the ice caps, the tundra, or the rainforest being clear. But what really depresses me most are the uh, obstructions, implicit or otherwise, of people who are blocking action on climate change. But it's not all bad. And today on Fuzzy Logic, we're going to meet some people who are making a difference, who haven't just given up. And we will have Andrew Pepper, who is the founder and creator of a recent group called CO2 Efficiency and how to offset your carbon emissions. Andrew Bray, who is with the RE Alliance, Renewable Energy Alliance, and Millie Bohm, who joined us recently at the Citizens Climate Lobby. But first, I'm going to kick off with an interview that I recorded last year in November with the Shadow Minister then for Climate Change and Energy, Mark Butler. Oh, Mark Butler, it's a great privilege to meet you here on the lawns of Parliament House. What brings you out today? Well, I'm, I'm out here to talk to a whole lot of aviation workers who've lost their job, obviously because of the pandemic, but that have not been supported by their government. My electorate includes Adelaide Airport, so hundreds of workers uh, have, um, have obviously been left out, but I'm really glad to see people out talking about climate change. It'd be great to have Mark Butler come out and tell us what the Labor government thinks about this bill. Mark, what do you think? I'm in an interview. I'm in an interview. We we have a permission to be here. We're waiting for the unions to have their bids. Can you can you wait? We'll be doing an interview. I'm sorry. We'll be two minutes. We've waited twenty half an hour while that finished. I'm doing a climate interview, so this is why I'm here for Mark. You're not helping me. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> oh, the, oh, the joys of uh, uh, recording interviews, uh, Mark. Uh, yes, a little bit of again. an interruption there. A lot of passion about climate. What do you see? Well, it, look, it, over the weekend and over the last several weeks, we've seen around the world big nations shifting in favour of strong, courageous climate action. We've seen China, South Korea, Japan, and obviously over the weekend, Joe Biden's victory victory is enormously momentous enormously momentous and leaves Australia out in the cold so we want, we need to take this lesson from America as as an opportunity to restart the debate about climate change in Australia but do you feel optimistic or are we permanently hamstrung by compromise well the, the lessons from America are threefold I think that, that a courageous strong ambitious climate change policy can be a part of an election winning formula for a centre left party like the Labor Party and the Democrats in the US. It also shows, though, the importance of unity and consistency. All of those who are interested in climate action across the Democrat Party, Sunrise, the environment movement, once the platform was settled, all rode in one direction. That's such an important message for us here in Australia. And and the importance of Joe Biden arguing strongly and consistently across the country, in every single city, in every single state, arguing for a very ambitious climate change policy platform. Well, it 
it's very tricky for the coal miners in Queensland and other people working in the fossil fuel industry. What do we say to them? Well, obviously, we support the work that they've been doing for this country, putting money on, on their kitchen tables, driving the economy. But, but um, you know, what we're, we're committed to net zero emissions by the middle of the century. Decisions taken overseas are the decisions that will shape the future of those coal export operations in Queensland. We're focused on decisions here in Canberra that will that will transform the economy of Australia into a clean energy economy. There's a race around the world for jobs and investment and Australia should be leading that race. We've got the best solar radiation on the planet, great wind resources, great scientists, but we're being held back by really this building here. All of the other state governments want to get on with the race. The business sector wants to get in the race. I think the community wants to see us win that race, but we need a government in Canberra willing to unleash all of that creative energy, the jobs and investment that will come from strong climate and jobs action. Well, we've got Zali Stegall's bill uh, coming up. What's going to happen with that? Well, I, 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 the onus is on Scott Morrison to allow a debate on climate change. We've been calling for a debate on climate change in this parliament for ages now. The decision about whether this bill will be debated is a decision for Scott Morrison. We want it debated. The, the, the bill that Zali has released contains a range of elements that have been long-standing Labor policy, net zero emissions by the middle of the century, five yearly targets that reflect the Paris Climate Change Accord. All of those things we've been arguing, I've been arguing personally for, for several years. So I'm really glad that Zali has put this out into the public arena, is introducing it into Parliament. The onus now is on Scott Morrison to allow some debate. Well, Mark Butler, it's a great privilege to talk to you today to to and you. keep up the fight. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming to Canberra. And our first guest is Andrew Bray from the Renewable Energy Alliance. G'day, Andrew. Hi there, Rod. How are you? And uh, the Renewable Energy Alliance. I'll ask you in a moment about that, Andrew. And uh, Andrew Pepper, the founder of a group or co-founder of a group called CO2 Efficiency, how to offset your carbon emissions. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, Rod. Uh, we have audio again, <laughs> and Millie Bohm. G'day, Millie, from the Citizens Climate Lobby. Good morning. How are you? Oh, coming in loud and strong. All right, now uh, the gods are smiling upon us. So, Andrew Bray, the Renewable Energy Alliance, who are you and why were you formed? Um, thanks, Rod. We are um, Realliance. We're a, a, a community advocacy group for renewable energy. Uh, we're about eight years old and we actually grew up uh, as the uh, Australian Wind Alliance. And so we sort of came out of, um, so this is back in 2012, 13, uh, came out of a situation where uh, there were wind farms starting to be built through regional Australia. Um, and there, was a, there were a lot of um, voices of opposition to it. Uh, and particularly at a local level, people um, who were supportive of those renewable technologies were a bit reticent to, you know, put their um, put their heads above the parapet in case it got shot off. So there was a, there was an opening there for a group to, net, um, you know, network those people together to um, to keep to keep that message around the importance of why we were building wind farms in the first place because it's all about um, tackling climate change it's all about decarbonizing the energy grid so it's really important that those projects were allowed to proceed um, and so we wanted to make sure that it was it was clear both to decision makers to regulators to 
um, to the wider community that there was support for wind energy. So that's that's what we did for the first few years. And um, at the end of last year, we we rebranded and expanded our rand, remit to uh, to take on solar storage um, transmission lines. They're all they're all part of the renewable energy so uh, decarbonisation story. A, a lot of your community are people in uh, farming regions, I take it. And you, you, have you seen a big transition in attitudes to renewable energy since you started? Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's absolutely right. We we mostly do work in the regions, uh, so it's farming communities. Um, but you know, increasingly, your um, you know regional Australia is is becoming a bit of a tree change place. You know, people will, will move out and get a ten acre block or a fifty acre block or whatever it is, and um, and they've got a, a view of of you know what they what they hope to be moving out to. They're moving out of the city and into the country for. A, um, for that kind of thing, and um, but in terms of the way attitudes have changed, I think there's an understanding that um, that solar and wind projects, and you know now we're we're talking about large transmission lines as well, that those kind of things will be built in regional Australia, uh, and certainly the places where where the wind farms have gone up. Um, you know, there was often, often a lot of debate and you know uncertainty about what they might be like, and you know, we won't be able to live in these places anymore because they'll make it impossible to to live in. Um, but actually, the reality of them is quite um, it's quite benign. Like you can see them. There's no doubt about that. It, it changes the way places look. Um, but you know, the noise of them is is, is really quite minimal. Um, particularly if you're a few kilometres away, um, you know they don't they don't make the ground shudder. They don't. I don't know. Well, there <laughs> are the many wind, things. The wind they turbine syndrome. Is, two heads and yeah, you know those kind yes. of things. Um, so yeah, a good a general sort of acceptance, which comes from an experience of what they actually are. Are you also helping uh, landowners to navigate the complicated relationships with the energy providers? Because I understand from uh, other people that they're not always well behaved, the energy companies. Well, they haven't always had a good track record. And much as we'd like to see more wind turbines and so on, uh, it hasn't always worked out well. Is, is that your experience? Yes, and certainly in the early days, that was a real issue. And I think um, actually some of the some of the um, lack of enthusiasm, I'm sure there's another word for it, um, for that some communities had for renewable energy developers was caused by those developers' own goals. You know, a lot of them not a lot of them, but some of them would certainly go out with poor community engagement. They wouldn't keep people up to date. They weren't transparent. Um, so part of our work actually over the years has been advocating to the industry themselves and saying, look, you guys have to pull your socks up. You have to make sure that you're engaging with people in an open and honest way. You've mm -hmm. got to do it early enough for it to be meaningful. Um, you've got to be sharing financial benefits with local communities so they can say there's something in this for us as well. Well, I, I guess uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a transition for them as well because they might have seen themselves as primarily technology providers and not having to deal with people so much. Yeah, absolutely. And in the early days, often the community engagement people were 
you know, the, the engineer with a bit of time on his hands. Um, and, and as we've gone on, the companies have, have they've become more professional about it, basically. And so they've hired people who are experts in community engagement. Um, you know, they're doing that stuff properly. As an industry, they're sort of banding together and working out ways in which they can share benefits better. Um, we, we've done a bit of work around that, uh, publishing details of community funds for, for wind farms. Well, we, uh, so we, and, yeah, it, it's a developing thing. Yes, and it's good to see progress. We might talk more about the politics of this uh, in a moment, but let's now introduce our next guest, who is Andrew Pepper, who has created a group called CO2 Efficiency. Morning, Andrew. Now, CO2 Efficiency, who are you? What do you do? Why were you created? Well, we've only been around a couple of months. Um, we're a not-for-profit organisation, um, and we are less on the advocacy, so- advocacy side and more on the kind of practical solution side. So um, uh, three average blokes who all live on the northern beaches of Sydney and, and really care about the issue of climate change, want the environment to be available for our children and grandchildren. And we came together and went, well... What do we do? There's this large swathe of middle-class people who want to continue to sort of take a trip over to Fiji every year and they want to, um, they've got to use electricity. A lot of that is still coal-fired, well, will be for the medium term. They could buy an electric car, but they're super expensive and they could install solar panels. But after that, what do you do to offset the rest of your household emissions? Because whether you like it or not, you're still going to be using some sort of carbon-based energy. So we have built a website and and eventually an app that will just enable people to, everyday people to um, measure their household carbon footprint. Um, And we've used all sort of government-based algorithms of the way they measure it so that people can do that. So the the first step is to understand what your own footprint is. And then what we do is then for the bit that they can't directly um, manage themselves, we on their behalf, they donate through coefficient and we purchase offsets, um, carbon offsets, so that every single household in Australia could become carbon neutral. Well, what what, what, we what kind of carbon offsets are we talking about here? Um, uh, different types. So um, many of them are, um, uh, they're all accused of saying carbon credit units. So they're all um, verified by the Emissions Reduction Fund. And for us, that was when we looked at the problem, that was one of the questions I think everyone has. What's going on with these carbon offsets? Like, what are they all about and how do they work? And, I, and we feel like we had to really answer that question in a very credible way. And the thing that, you know, because I'm an average punter and when I looked at this, the thing that I was, I was really surprised about was that the, the, the system, the emissions reduction run front system is actually really um, uh, quite good in the sense that if you have a carbon project it requires you to justify the emissions that you've taken out of the atmosphere. Um, And, um, you know, we are really choosing projects that we feel like that make make an impact and make a difference. Well, it it, it strikes me that if we're talking about market segments, that uh, Andrew Bray and the RE Alliance are targeting uh, 
people in regions who uh, might be able to put turbines on their property or lots of solar panels, but there are so many people in rental properties in inner-city locations, and you might be able to put a, a water heater on your a solar water heater on your roof and so on. But there are many people don't have access to putting their own resources into something to do something about their own carbon effect. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I think I think I think that's right. I think I think we feel like that that if if we're going to get there, it's going to take everyone to take some action. And at the moment, there is no, there isn't really that vehicle to do that. So what that leads to is the large majority of people doing nothing. So sitting there and going, well, this doesn't really impact me now. It's that's this is a fifty-year problem, not a not a five-year problem. What was this and I think the pan, the pandemic's probably exacerbated that because it is the current two-year, one-year, five-year problem. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, we wanted to find a way to enable everyday people to take that action. Yes, and was your foray into this exercise largely a result of your own frustration? Yeah. Look, I, I deeply care about the issue. Um, I think my interest is um, similar to Andrew Bray is is a combination of um, renewable energy and energy transformation. And I've sort of taken that journey in my own house by installing solar panels and trying to make our own house as energy efficient as possible. But then I just realised that that until the back end power sources change, there's always going to be a gap. I can't make my house energy neutral and and the three of us were the same and that's kind of where it came from which is what do we do with the rest um and the only and and these carbon offsets were available to companies and corporates and they've been purchasing up like crazy but why can't we as a consumer block do the same thing and exert our power over what we want this to be by purchasing these at a a sort of small cost we we reckon that that for uh, the larger majority of people across Australia, it's probably $10 per person per month to offset your an average house uh, with your carbon footprint. Um, so so that's, that's not a huge amount. Not a that's not a huge amount of money. I think, no. I think if there were a theme of today's program, that would be how we, we can be personally active in what it seems like a huge and insurmountable problem. And on that theme, I'd like to introduce our next guest today, who is Millie Boehm. Now, I met Millie because I'm active with a group called uh, the Citizens Climate Lobby. And uh, Millie has joined us on Zoom, as everything seems to be. And in fact, we are here on Zoom, my first foray into Zoom on uh, 2XX Radio. Now, Millie, I understand you've got, uh, or you are, uh, studying at the ANU. And yes, you're yeah, doing environmental yeah. science. Tell me a bit about that. Yes, yeah, so I'm in my final year of uh, environmental science and ecology degree at ANU. And that's what really um, drove me into Citizens Climate Lobby, just seeing that degradation of our natural ecosystems and the rising CO2 levels. Um, you know, it's so easy to sit back and notice the change, but I actually wanted to be a part of that process. And why the Citizens Climate Lobby? Well, I really like their main goals and values. So we're a nonpartisan group. um, And what we do is we look to build relationships um, and have hard conversations with MPs um, who are the people ultimately that uh, make decisions and the policies um, 
around our environment and our climate. Um, so I was really drew, I was drawn in by that, and um, I really aligned with their uh, goal of achieving net zero by 2050. That that's a really good thing. We endorse that officially on Fuzzy Logic. Now, uh, Millie, tell me a bit about your environmental science degree because we've mentioned it a couple of times, and I'd just like to know a little bit about what you're actually doing in that. So. I focus more on the ecology side of things and seeing the interactions with um, humans and the environment and seeing what our impacts are and how we kind of fit into that system and how we can be a bit more sustainable and not have uh, such a lasting impact on our environment, really. What was it that motivated you to start that? I've always had a, a passion for the environment and I think even in my short lifetime of 22 years I have seen um, things degrade over time and that to me uh, is a major issue and something that I don't want to see uh, become a bigger issue in the future so I wanted to be a part of the change and say that I tried my hardest and was a part of uh, making a difference. Yes, there's something, a question that fascinates me is why, why some people try, why some people don't just give up because when you look at it, it's such a big problem that it's easy to just say it's all too hard. We might delve into that theme a bit more here on Fuzzy Logic and I think we'll go to a song break, give ourselves a breather and when we come back, uh, we'll be hearing more from our guests who are Andrew Bray from the RE Alliance, Andrew Pepper from CO2 Efficiency and Millie Bohm from the Citizens Climate Lobby on Fuzzy Logic. Your science on a Sunday, our theme today is uh, climate change and people who are doing things about climate change. And what strikes me is the diversity of people who do get involved with this thing. So at the top of the program, I played a short interview I recorded with a politician, no less, uh, uh, Mark Butler. Now, that was a really interesting interview. I don't think my uh, guests would have heard it because we were too busy fuffing around trying to get the Zoom working but uh, we were on the lawns of parliament house and there were some other protesters there and in the middle of the interview one of them pointed the loud hailer at us and said uh, mark Butler, what are you doing about climate change <laughs> and i had to go over and say listen uh, i'm on your side can you let me finish the interview <laughs> It's a really contentious thing and it's a very complicated place for politicians to navigate. So I want to ask uh, you, Andrew Bray, and then also maybe get a follow-up picture from you, Millie, because we recently spoke to some politicians with the Citizens Climate Lobby. But uh, Andrew, to Andrew Bray, to you first... Uh, how have you found dealing with politicians? What what motivates them and how do you have a conversation with them? Uh, look, I, I was interested to hear that. I could, I, I could hear a bit of the, the interview and it was, um, you're obviously talking about Zali Stegall's bill uh, going into parliament. Um, and that was a bill for, uh, for net zero emissions by 2050. But really importantly, I think, I mean, that's that's the absolute basic that we should be heading for politically. Um, the critical question is, is what are the emissions cuts this year, next year, the year after? How do we keep 
ratcheting down our emissions, you know, by a few percent every year, and, and they have to be some major major changes we're doing. So. Um, I was I was quite disappointed that, um, and, and I think Butler's point was right on that, that it didn't actually even get debated in Parliament. It, th- that bill is a really practical way of getting in place the mechanisms that can allow the Parliament to re- set policy that reflects the science. That's That's got to be the starting point. Um, look, I think, uh, I, to be honest, I think there's been a lot of opportunism in the, the political space around climate change and it's held us back for you know at least a decade now and that's that's really um really unfortunate um so it makes it very you like all of us who care about climate change want to have want to have a discussion that puts the facts at the front of it um but instead we've been served up a whole lot of you know doomsday scenarios about the economy coming crashing down. Can I give you one example, Rod, which is that um, at the last election, for instance, Labor went to um, uh, went with a fifty percent renewable energy by twenty thirty target, and the the government, you know, sort of said this is going to be a wrecking ball through the economy. I believe was the quote at the time, um, and and all of a sudden we're in now we're in twenty twenty one, and we've just gone thirty percent renewables already. And look, I'm looking at the sky right now. It's still up there, you know. Life's <laughs> carrying on. Um, every, every, you know, most days in the last weeks, we have 50 percent or thereabouts renewables for a few hours in the day when the sun is really high. Like 50 percent, half of our grid is being powered by wind and solar and hydro. So that's that's quite remarkable. So, but it's happening yeah. in spite of the federal government. And what what strikes me is that the system of logic, the rules are different for people in parliament than they are for people with a science bent. So I was having a conversation with uh, Brian Schmidt about this and he was getting very frustrated about the the lack of action from politicians. And um, I'm not sure their motivations are the same. So we accept the precepts of science and, and climate change scientists are telling us how serious the problem is. Do you have any tips for so for, for us, uh, myself and uh, Millie, who are involved with the Citizens Climate Lobby or anybody else who's listening and wants to talk to a, a politician? How do you how do you light them up? Oh, you you talk about the uh, longevity of their position in Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's pretty much one currency, you know, um, particularly on this issue. And the, and uh, I think the the Climate 200 uh, program, which is funding independent candidates um, at the next election, um, who will focus on climate, is really is really important. So I think coming in behind those independent candidates, I think, is really important. Um, because they're saying to these, you know, so-called moderate liberals that if you've got the same voting record as Barnaby Joyce on this stuff, which they have, then <laughs> you're not representing the climate aspirations of your electors. So, you know, I, th- I think it has to be that sort of, you know, sort of. So that's their, that, would, that would be a key phrase. Approach. That would be a key phrase, and wouldn't it? Aspirations of your electorate. Now, I want to throw to Millie because Millie and I were talking to some local politicians in the Citizens Climate Lobby engagement a week ago. And I want to ask you, Millie, what was your observation of what you saw from that? Yeah, so we were lucky enough to meet with two local MPs of Canberra 
um, and discuss our goals and what they want to see as a priority as well in Canberra. But one thing I really noticed was uh, when Rod and myself would ask a, a hard-hitting question or something, a lot of the time it was um, diverted towards something else. So it was really hard to get a clear-cut answer, um, which was quite frustrating. Oh, okay. So did you have any thoughts about how best to talk to somebody in a political position? I found that um, I was a bit nervous going into it, but at the end of the day, politicians are humans as well. And um, you can ch chat with them and have um, meaningful conversations and chat like I would talk to you guys, um, which was a bit, um, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting them to be um, so easy to talk to. Mm. Yes, because after all, we are all humans. And I've spoken to some very uh, prominent people here on Fuzzy Logic over the years. And yes, after all, we're all human. And Millie, you had some questions that you want to throw to uh, Andrew Pepper, I think. Yeah, I had a few that I was just a bit curious about. Yeah, of course. So I was just wondering, um, with your initiatives that you support, how do you select those? And... Um, what motivations do you have to select those ones? Yeah, I think that the primary driver for the projects we support is, um, first of all, we take seriously our role as a kind of a representative of the community. So we know we want to select firstly projects that are going to make a difference, that we can, every month we report back to the people who donate to our to code coefficient we report to them the amount of money we've collected the amount of money the number of carbon uh, credits we've offset and what projects they go to you know so whether it's um, renewable energy whether it's a soil carbon project whether it's a deforestation project every one of those we want to be able to say back to them you've donated this and this is the this is the the net amount of carbon that we've actually taken out of the atmosphere our number one sort of organizational metric is impact is 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 reducing taking carbon out of the atmosphere so we uh, interesting though Millie what I wanted did want to talk about is what, what you guys just wanted were talking about which is I think the delusionment that people have with the political system and the lack of action around this and it actually does impact our business our organization because what we're finding is we've launched and we've got this going is that because of the lack of action politically it gives people an excuse not to take action locally because they say well they're not doing anything so what's the what's the point of me doing any me doing anything so i think the the ultimate um and what we're trying to encourage is a is I guess more of that that citizen advocacy that citizen movement that sense of well let's not wait because if we wait too, too long for that action to occur, we're not taking accountability for our own footprints in our own houses, our own house. So um, Andrew, that seems also like an opportunity because if a person is frustrated with the political outcomes, then they can uh, direct the energy, so to speak, towards your. Do you want, can, can I chime in there? Yeah, go on that one. Yeah. Cause it's a, it's an interesting dynamic and I, I, I absolutely support the sort of work that, that you'd, you're doing Andrew um, but but it's worth noting that it is part of the sort of um, the fossil fuel industry playbook that um, and this is sort of documented through uh, books like Merchants of Doubt and things like that 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 part of the whole PR campaign 
from the oil and gas lobby for a number of decades actually has been to has been to say oh actually this is this is something you can do yourself and they and then they use that as a way of diverting responsibility for what for their role in this which is the critical role because they're the ones pulling the oil and gas and coal out of the ground and so i I don't in any way want to say that that undercuts what you're doing andrew i think it's really important and i'll I'll go and check out your website when we finish because i want to have a look into it myself um but i but i think it's and this comes back to the question that millie was asking about around how, how we're talking to politicians um it's important that while while we do the work that you're doing, we're also keeping yeah, pressure yeah. on on that sort of yeah. system, if you like, yeah. systemic. I agree. Mm. I agree. Now, Millie, you had another question you wanted to put. Yeah, um, just this is for both of you actually, because um, I know on an individual level it can feel kind of overwhelming and unsure where to start. So I think your initiative with um, carbon offsetting your own individual impact is such a great way to start doing this journey do you guys have any other recommendations of what other people what you can do on an individual level yeah i I think i mean we looked into this a lot um uh i I think the the number one thing that that everyone should do first of all is look at in what areas does their own lifestyle footprint uh be dependent on fossil fuel use and um if we all did that and reduced that, we would start to move in in the right direction. For me, uh, I'm continually conflicted with that. And I think a lot of people are. For example, my wife wanted to put a pool in. We've got three kids and we're at that phase of life, but it uses a lot of electricity. So my compromise around that was, okay, if we're going to do that, we're getting solar panels and we're getting a lot of them. And we're going to, we're going to use electricity, our own electricity off the house to do that. Um, and I think it's that uh, Jeremy Rifkin calls it biosphere consciousness, which is that we need to be collectively accountable for this problem. So we all need to have a consciousness around this problem collectively, but we also need to have individual account- accountability as well around what we're actually using um, on a daily basis. So that'd be one, Millie. Andrew Bray. Now, uh, you, before Andrew Bray, before you chime in, I'd like to drop in my own answer to that question, if I may, which is uh, being the uh, producer here, but, uh, is that uh, I wrote this book called 10 Journeys on a Fragile Planet. And one thing that really struck me, uh, Millie, is that every person has to adapt their own response to their personality. So not everybody's going to be the founder of a world-shattering movement like uh, Greta Thunberg, or not everyone's going to write a book, not everybody's going to be able to put up a 1,000 solar panels, but you've got to work with your own strengths. And so I met people, in fact, I'm talking to three people now, yourself, Millie Bone, um, <laughs> from the Citizens Climate Lobby, Andrew Bray from RE Alliance, and Andrew Pepper from the CO2 efficient uh, you've got to do what works for you and it could be a simple little thing just like in your local neighbourhood not uh, putting up solar panels perhaps not having a swimming pool and so on so that's for me Andrew uh, Bray do you want to pick up now? Yeah I mean look there's, that, that is it's kind of a tricky challenge isn't it Millie there's so many things that you could do um, what are the ones that are going to have the most you know, bang for buck. Um, I, Rod, I don't know if you have many regional listeners, but um, 
Uh, but if so, you know, they might want to jump on and, and uh, they can join Realliance and, you know, become part of the work that, that we do, particularly in the regional areas. Um, but but I think for anyone, I, I actually think the work that Citizens Climate Lobby and groups like yours do is really critical to have have lots of people and lots of electorates in the faces of their politicians. And I think... Um, and this is a sort of a you know a bit of an extension of the previous answer, but I think uh, you know going to politicians and, and talking about things that they giving them some options for things that they can do in their local area, whether it's you know the plan for more trees in the the local area that they can they've got some sort of in with the that the federal government could deliver or whatever level of government they're at, um, and find, finding those kind of practical solutions or things that they can deliver for you, so, um, I think are really important. Andrew, if I were to join the RE Alliance or one of our listeners, and we do podcast on uh, Fuzzy Logic on to com, and I'll promote that link later. But if, if, if somebody was to join the RE Alliance, what are the, some of the practical things in, that might uh, get them involved? A lot of it's just about... about um, you know, talking about renewable energy in the regions and what the benefits are for for regional areas from these projects, whether it's money for farmers, um, you know, money into local local businesses, um, you know, the environmental um, benefits of these these projects. Um, so it, it, a lot of it is about advocacy. It's about talking to people. Um, so you know, again, going and finding the local politicians in these places. Do you They're do often much nationals and liberals and saying, you know, we support these things. Do you do much direct engagement with politicians? Uh, we don't do we don't do that much these days. I mean, in, in some ways, renewable energy is sort of it's 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 just got such momentum behind it from a financial from an energy perspective um, that that it's kind of doing its own thing. It's it's different from five five or ten years ago where we, where people you had to make the case for solar, you had to make the case for wind. Now it's kind of self evident. It's it's the cheapest way to get electricity. It's the cleanest way to get electricity. Um, and so it's more about how do we how do we get this happening faster? How do we yeah. how do we decarbonize so the, the our economics as quick as really, possible? The economics are really driving it along, but what it needs is uh, infrastructure built on the grid and so on, and uh, grid level storage and so on. Uh, Millie, did you have uh, another question that you wanted to put? Right, I was just going to um, add a couple of things to what I was going to say. Is I think there's, there's, there's two or three questions. The first one is, you know, in terms of direct action, are you a business or are you an individual? I think if if you if you're an individual, you can do a lot of things to, you know, change your energy to renewable sources. And then for those where you can't, you can offset. And then, but if you're a business, the first thing is to look at how you can change your energy sources and change your business model so that they rely less on fossil fuel dependency. And and that's where the that's where the business world is heading slowly, um, but it is. It is heading in that direction. Well, um, Andrew, and, one, one thing I've yes. really noticed is I go into Bunnings now and Bunnings have got a display, an interactive display behind the cashier and it shows how much energy from renewable sources they're producing. Yeah. So there's a business benefit in doing it. Would you say it looks good to your public? Well, the future of, the future of energy use in the world is as a distributed network. 
so there, there will no be there'll be no you know 50 years from now our children's children um energy will be, be produced as a distributed network at the edge and then it will be connected via the internet across a whole lot of sensory devices that are able to manage that load from from the middle to from the edge to the core so it'll be like the internet of power um and companies that either uh, play in that space and can move in that space now so either as a producer or someone who can actually manage that network will be far ahead of those that stay where they are now, which is relying on fossil fuel energy dependencies. So, you know, we're not even in that space, but if I had a large business right now, that's where I'd be heading. Yes, it's a real phase change to the way electricity is used and generated here on Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday. I guess Andrew Bray from the RE Alliance, Andrew Pepper from CO2 Efficient and Millie Bohm from the Citizens Climate Lobby. Now, uh, Millie, did you have a question that you wanted to put? I think uh, the final question I have for both of you is how do you remain motivated and what encourages you to do this work? Oh, I think um, I think a natural sense of optimism is helpful. <laughs> I think a disposition to 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 you know thinking yes, we can sort it out in the end. The thing that got me interested in climate <clears throat> um, uh, climate activism, I guess you know, fifteen years ago or something, um, was really a sense that uh, you know humans can we we can't be this that stupid that we would simply sleepwalk into this disaster. And I have to admit in the time since then, I've not been, I've not been flooded with evidence to the contrary on that. <laughs> I wish I could say we were cleverer than we apparently are. Um, but, but, you know, you can just see, I just think we've got to keep, we've got to keep fighting, fighting the fight really, because yeah. Yeah, it, add, we can do it. I would add to that that um, 99.5% of species have not survived the Earth, um, have uh, have been extinct at some... You know, the conditions have created an extinction event. Um, there, there is uh, a school of scientists who believe that this is the sixth great extinction event that is going to happen to the human race. And that other that there may be another type of human that emerge after this, but that that this is probably as serious as the ice age, um, and as every other event, you know, meteors that has occurred. And I, I, I don't get me wrong; I don't think about that on a daily basis. But what motivates me is the desire to leave something. Um, at least in as good a shape as what I found it and hopefully in a better shape than what I found it. That, that's um, great sentiment, uh, Andrew. And Millie, I think we might get you to answer your own question here. Well, I think um, seeing initiatives like what you've got at the moment is really encouraging for me. So that's really great for young people to see and aspire to do things like what you guys are doing. Um, similar to Andrew Pepper, I have the same kind of values I don't want to leave the earth in a worse condition than when I got here. And I want to be a part of that change and say that I've done as much as I can to help contribute to creating a better earth for myself and then future generations to come.
That, that's a wonderful thought. And if I may answer the question too, for me, the alternative is to do nothing. And that is just not an option. If I want to get depressed, I mean, I get depressed, I'll have to confess, uh, as it is seeing what's happening to the planet and the stupid things that stupid humans are doing. But uh, doing nothing is not an option. And so my aphorism is don't, don't get depressed, get active. And that's probably uh, a good closing thought for us here today on Fuzzy Logic because we're just about out of time. We produce uh, Fuzzy Logic, a weekly column in Australian community media, and I'm going to do one what happens when a species goes extinct. And we tend to focus on the species itself, but really the impact is on the ecology. It's on the system that is affected. And that's it. That's all we have time for today. So, Andrew Bray, RE Alliance, thank you for your time, Andrew. Thank you very much, Jordan <laughs> and, and Millie. And um, no, I've really enjoyed that chat. It's been it's um, been a really enjoyable one. Thanks. Andrew Pepper from CO2 Efficient. And your website is, before we leave? Uh, it's uh, co2efficient.com.au. And we'll put these Great up. to speak with you all. We'll put these up on social media. And Millie Bohm from the Citizens Climate Lobby, and you'll find us online, Citizens Climate Lobby. That's it. Time to say goodbye. Got to go. Catch you later.